Miss Crystal, wonderful Miss Gladys, good to have you and good morning to one and all. Thank you, thank you, Brother Sean. Good to see you, brother. Good morning. I guess everybody else will have to join us whenever they will make it. We are not going to waste anybody's time, so I'm going to have us go before the Lord and ask for his blessing, for our word that he may bless us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we bless you this morning as your people. We thank you for this time that you've granted us to come and hear about eternal matters, the matters of Christ, the matters of our salvation, the matters of the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you for these whom we have gathered, for whom this message was prepared. Lord, may you grant them ears to hear, and may you also give me the words to speak and to speak faithfully. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. I determined to do this message on Saturday because I'm testing to see how my systems will behave tomorrow. We're still going to have our regular teaching on Sunday, tomorrow, closing the book of Ephesians. But I thought I would come and talk to a matter that is very, very important to Christian faith, to a true and faithful testimony of the gospel. And that is the matter of regeneration, the new birth. This is very, very important. And if you have been around the church environment, you will know that there are a lot of formulas a lot of formulas about this matter, which unfortunately are unbiblical. So, as a matter of qualification, let me say a few more words before we go to our text. The matter of preaching the gospel, as I do, is the biggest responsibility that God has given me. Therefore, it is the most dangerous thing that God has ever given me to do. Because as I stand and I come to you, I am claiming that what I'm telling you is the truth of the Almighty God. And that if you rely on this truth, the whole of your eternity is stagged on what I am saying if I'm telling the truth. So I have to tell you the truth, even if it is contrary to what I would want to say or contrary to our own opinions, the truth is the truth. So may you be praying for me and be praying for yourselves and everybody else who shall listen to the message. And a good morning to my sisters, Sister Rhonda, Sister Kelly. Thank you for joining us. So I've titled this message, it actually has four titles, and it's not going to be very, very long, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> the first title is, You Must Be Born Again. You Must Be Born Again, and the second title is like the first, You Must Be Born Again, and that's not a mistake, You Must Be Born Again, and the 
third title is how can these things be? How can these things be? And number four title, the wind blows where it listeth. The wind blows where it listeth. So let's go to the book of John, John chapter 3. Let's go to the book of John, John chapter 3. And we are going to work our teaching from verses 1 to 11. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Where Apostle Paul, sorry, where Apostle John recorded for us by the Holy Spirit and said, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. And that is the word of the Lord. And once again, greetings to one and all in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I just stopped by to share some gospel understanding as I said, also just testing my system to see if everything is working well. And I thought to come and talk about the matter of regeneration, the matter of the new birth, the matter of how a dead sinner is made alive to God, and why this is important, and the theological implications of it. It is important for us to define and understand this matter because our starting point is very important in how we believe the truth of God. It is a matter of salvation. Where we begin reveals how much we believe the truth about Christ and what he has done. It also reveals whether one is actually born again of God or they are just caught up in the bandwagon of religion. Unfortunately, false religion. Many professing Christians believe that the best decision that they ever made was to choose Jesus. 
And that sounds righteous. It sounds so good. I chose Jesus. But it is false teaching. Why? Because sinners have no natural ability to choose Christ, to come to Christ of their own power or will. And that is say, no one ever chose Jesus. And the gospel is not an invitation to choose Jesus. The gospel is not there to be chosen. It is not a matter that God has put out to the ballot box for sinners to decide for him about matters that affect the glory of his own son. This is not the matter that God would put on the ballot box because it is about him and it is about his son. The matter of salvation is an eternal matter. It cannot be decided by mortal creatures. My dear brothers and sisters, faith is not natural to sinners. We are sinners because naturally we do not have faith. Unbelief is what is natural to us. So what I'm saying is that if we deny the true nature of men and women as sinners, we end up with a false gospel. We end up with conditionalism. And that means conditioning salvation on what the sinner does or does not do with Jesus. We end up with a salvation that can be lost. Because it is dependent on your doing, on your running, and your willing. We end up with a twisted understanding of God's grace. In other words, we end up with a mess. With a serious mess. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. Apostle Paul wrote this and said, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually descended. The natural man is everyone who is spiritually dead. A spiritually dead person cannot believe the truth of Christ, cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because they're dead. <laughs> because they're spiritually dead, therefore these things are foolishness to them. The gospel is foolishness to the unregenerate. Unregenerate is the theological term to say one who is not born of God. So they cannot know them because the things of God are spiritually discerned. In other words, the gospel is only received, is only understood by those whom God has given his spirit. You cannot understand the gospel if you don't have the Spirit of God. 
So it is very important for us to understand men and women as God sees them. Not as we see ourselves. This is how God sees everyone in their natural state. In their unregenerate state. This is how God sees everyone in their natural state. Romans 3, 10 to 18. Romans 3, 10 to 18. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands, there's none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside, they've together become unprofitable. There's none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they've practiced deceit. The poison of us is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, in the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. There's none who seeks after God. Like zero. There's none, not a single person who says, my life is boring, therefore I'm going to look for Jesus. There's none who seeks after God because we're all born under sin. And all that the Holy Spirit said above is what sin has done to all men and women, no matter how rich, no matter how poor, no matter how cute. We are born with no spiritual ability or desire to come to God. And that is, that is saying we are not as cute as we think before God. No, we're not. Now, the question is, how does one come out of that to saying, Jesus is my life and my righteousness? How do you come from that? And that will take us to our story from John 3, the encounter of Jesus with Nicodemus. And John recorded for us and said, so we're going to work verse by verse from John chapter 3, verse 1, all the way to about verse 10. Okay, so be following with me. So begin at verse 1, where John says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So John introduced us to a man, and this was his Facebook profile. If Nicodemus was existing in our time, he would have a Facebook profile. And John says he was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews. And that to say he was an equivalent of a congressman or a senator. So Nicodemus was a ruler, and that means or implies that he also was rich. By the standards of the day, he was rich. He was powerful. And a religious guy. And Nicodemus was a Jew whose name was Nicodemus. 
Nicodemus is a Greek name. It is not a Jewish name. And that to say Nicodemus was a highly educated Jew because it is mostly the highly educated and rich Jews that also carried Greek names. So what is that saying? What is that profile of Nicodemus telling us? It is saying Nicodemus thought that all his ducks were in a row and if he would die, if Nicodemus would die, he was going to heaven. That's what Nicodemus thought. Nicodemus thought he was a righteous guy. Until Jesus showed up. Everybody is righteous until Jesus shows up and tells them otherwise. John continues verse 2 and says, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, hear this. We know that you are a teacher come from God. Why? For no one can do these signs that you do unless God was with him. Let's backtrack to that verse again. John says, this man came to Jesus by night. Why by night? Not by day. Why did he come by night? Because he was curious about Jesus. But he did not want to get in trouble with his comrades in the synagogue for being associated with Jesus. His compatriots were opposed to Jesus, as we shall learn in John 7. But there's more to the matter of Nicodemus coming at night that you need to understand. That is in the theology of John. One of the themes in the book of John is darkness. Light and darkness. Light and darkness. Darkness as a spiritual condition of the world to which Christ came to. And for that, let's go to John 1, verses 1 to 5. John 1, verses 1 to 5. John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness did not overcome it as to subdue it. The light is Christ. And he was shining in the darkness of the sin and condemnation of the world of which Nicodemus was a resident. Nicodemus was a resident of the world just like you and I John 3.19, let's build a little bit more on that darkness theme. John 3.19, 
And this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world and man loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Man naturally loved the darkness rather than the light because the light exposes their deeds to be evil before God. That's what Christ does. That's what the gospel does. And let's keep building this a little bit more. If you still remember when Judas betrayed Jesus, we are taught this by John in John 13. If you have your Bible, you can go with me to John 13, verse 26 and following. Jesus had said, to the disciples, one of you is going to betray me. And at the behest of Peter, John asked the Lord and said, who is it, Lord? Can you tell us who it is who's going to do this? Jesus answered verse 26 of John 13. It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Do you see the sovereignty of Jesus in this? He says, one of you is going to betray me. This is the guy that I'm going to dip this bread and give it to him. And he's going to eat it. Judas had what Jesus said, and yet he still went ahead and ate the bread. That's amazing stuff to me. But hear this, verse 27. Now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. That is a command. What you do, do quickly. And that command was directed to the devil who was in Judas. Judas was not alone in doing this. The devil immediately ended Judas because the devil knew he had work to do. He had to take someone. He did not know who until Jesus pointed by the giving of bread to Judas and said, this is the one that you're going to possess. And whatever you do, stay on schedule. Do it quickly. Verse 28, but no one at the table knew for what reason he had said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. And it was night. Pay attention to that. And it was night. That is speaking to the spiritual darkness that had engulfed Judas. And so now going back to John chapter 3. John said, this man Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. And that to say Nicodemus was spiritually a darkness dweller 
in spite of his seemingly great natural light, Nicodemus, a very religious man, a very polite man, still a darkness dweller. A lot of people, very nice, very religious, and still uh, under the night of darkness, spiritual darkness. Let us hear again this from John 3, verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, and he had some things to say to Jesus in his introduction. Nicodemus introduced himself to Jesus. He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Now that sounds very polite. There's nothing wrong with that. Nicodemus was a well-mannered guy. His parents raised him well. You are a teacher come from God. We know a teacher, a good teacher. Why Nicodemus why do you think Jesus came from God? Because no one can do the things that you do unless God was with him. No one. And that sounds like a really faithful testimony of acknowledging the person of Jesus. What is the problem with Nicodemus? Nicodemus did not have John chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. Nicodemus did not know of John chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. And John chapter 1, verse 14. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and this word became flesh. Nicodemus is talking to the word that has become flesh. He's not talking to just a good teacher come from God. And Jesus has problems with that. Nicodemus said, Jesus, we know. We know. At our church, we know. We know. That is a huge problem. We know. What do you know? What does that imply? It is saying, pay attention to this, pay attention to this. That line of we know is what got Nicodemus in trouble. We know. It is saying we sat together as a group of very educated and knowledgeable spiritual or religious people and we made an assessment of who you are, Jesus, and after hours or days or weeks of deliberation, we have come to this conclusion. You are a rabbi. Come from God. That's our conclusion. And the way I see it, I am also a rabbi. And you, Jesus, and I are both teachers in the same department of religious studies. That's the implication. Nicodemus is a teacher. He's a rabbi. Jesus is a teacher. 
So they are in the same department of religious studies. I am an associate professor of theology, but I acknowledge you, Jesus, as the emeritus professor. Just a little bit better than me because you can do all these signs that nobody else is able to do. That's the only difference between you and me, Jesus. And that's a huge problem. That's a huge problem. Jesus is not impressed. Jesus is not impressed. Let us see what happened. John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. My dear friends, I need you to understand this. Jesus was the least impressed by the testimony of Nicodemus. So Jesus began to give Nicodemus a free lecture, night school, with tuition fully paid for by Jesus. Jesus wholly dismisses the testimony of Nicodemus. He does not accept it. And that to say, just saying some nice things about Jesus does not mean that one is served of God. Nicodemus, not so fast. Unless one is born of God, born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. They can't bring the true testimony of who Christ is. To see means to know, it means to believe, it means to receive the person and the truth of Christ. Because he is the kingdom of God. Christ is the kingdom of God. Jesus put a condition that has to happen for one to see the kingdom of God. He uses the word unless. Unless means without this condition being met, this other thing will not happen. Unless this condition that I've told you happens, then you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, they cannot and will not be saved. Oh, Jesus, be nice to people. Don't prevent people to come to God, people who just love God. Don't tell them mean things about you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Why don't you just love and hug everyone? Because we are told that Jesus loves everyone. God is so desperate to get everybody saved. And that's the misinterpretation that people have of John 3.16, which we shall do a message soon. Jesus, don't you see that Nicodemus just wants to acknowledge you, to be in good company with you. No, it does not work like that, my friends. It does not work like that. Hear this verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? 
can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus says, I hear you, Jesus, but what you just said does not make sense. How can a grown man like me be born when he is old? How can I be shoved back into the belly of my old mother? That's what Nicodemus is thinking. This is impossible. Can I enter into my mother's womb for the second time and be born? This is confusing teaching. What is happening? Nicodemus has just been exposed. Nicodemus has just been exposed that he is in spiritual darkness. The darkness of the night. And that is shown by his theology about Jesus. His spiritual darkness is now on display because he does not comprehend spiritual things. He does not understand what Jesus was saying. Nicodemus is reasoning at the fleshly level. And Jesus is speaking at the spiritual level. And the two do not meet ever. And we saw that in John chapter 4 with the story of the Samaritan woman. Jesus talking about water to drink. The Samaritan woman is thinking, well, this guy needs some pitcher to draw with from the well. And yet Jesus is not speaking of that kind of water. Jesus was speaking of the Holy Spirit. So Nicodemus is also lost in that manner. Jesus is speaking spiritual things, and yet Nicodemus is reasoning at the fleshly, physical level. Let's go to John 3, verse 5. Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus repeats his point, but with a slight twist and defines more what has to happen for that condition to be met in a sinner. One has to be born of water and the spirit. And many, many people, as soon as they see water, as soon as they see water, they quickly run to the pool to dunk someone in. That's what they do. And there's no way that Jesus was suggesting that one is born again by water baptism. Water baptism is something that is within the reach of men and women to do. It is inconsistent. That understanding is inconsistent with the impossible situation that Jesus is building up for Nicodemus. Jesus wants Nicodemus and you and I to know that this condition is impossible to meet by something that anyone does. 
In other words, it is outside the power of the human will or choice. You must be born again. Born again is the Greek word anothen. It means to be born from above. Born again from above. So that excludes anything and everything that you and I could or do. To be born of water in this context is not a reference to water baptism, but is a washing with water by the word and being quickened by the spirit. It is water as something that comes from above. Water comes from above as a picture of the coming of the Holy Spirit from above. That's why water comes from above. It's preaching salvation. Alternatively, in the theology of John, water was a shorthand for the Holy Spirit. As we heard from the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, the water that wells up unto eternal life, that's the Holy Spirit. The theme of water and the Holy Spirit connection cannot be missed in the teaching of John. Let's go to John 7, briefly, John 7, 37 and 39, 37 to 39. John says, on the last day, the great day of the feast, that is the feast of tabernacles, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Hear the language, come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So that's the language of water there that has a much greater spiritual meaning than the physical water. But here, verse 39, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And that to say, because Jesus had not yet been crucified. So the statement of water and the Spirit could also be expressed this way. Born of water, even the Spirit. Born of water, even the Spirit. And the Greek does allow for that. And that defines what the water was in Jesus' thinking. And it surely was not saying one is born again when they get water baptized. That is just not the truth. Let us see if what I just said makes sense or is consistent with Jesus' expansion of his own teaching. Verse 6 of John 3. Jesus says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So there Jesus gives us only two possible categories. 
two possible scenarios. The flesh and the spirit. The flesh and the spirit. And says the flesh is the flesh. The flesh remains the flesh. Like begets like. Even the best of men and women, whatever they do is still in the realm of the flesh and cannot cross over into the spirit, cannot cause the spiritual. The spiritual is caused by the spirit of God. It is caused by Christ himself. This is he who baptizes by the Holy Spirit. The testimony of John the Baptist. John says, I baptize only with water. But the one who comes after me is greater than me. He was before me. He is preferred before me. This one, he baptizes. He immerses his people in the Holy Spirit. And so, to be born again is the work of the Spirit. And water and Spirit here have been combined into one because they have one reference. The reference is the Spirit. It's not the water itself, but it's the Spirit. It's a euphemism, if you would allow me to say, for the Spirit. Water, even the Spirit. Let's go. Verse 7. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Do not be surprised, Nicodemus, that I say to you, you must be born again. I'm thinking Nicodemus was surprised. His mouth was wide open in shock at this teaching. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, this is salvation 101. These are the ABCs of salvation. This is kindergarten teaching of salvation. You must be born again. And this is the third time that Jesus has said that. Jesus said that in verse 3, in verse 5, and verse 7. To say this is very important foundational understanding. Yes, you must be born again. But Jesus, how do I do it? Are there steps that I have to follow? Is there a book that you recommend for me to read on how to be born again? Should I get a Billy Graham book on how to be born again? I believe Billy Graham wrote a book on how to be born again. And people bought it. Is there a sinner's prayer that I can recite to cause my new birth? Is there a man of God with the anointing? Yeah? <laughs> the man of God with the anointing who can lay their hands on me and cause this to happen. And guess what? False religion will say yes, 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 and yes to all those questions. They will give you the book. 
They'll give you the steps. They'll give you the prayer. Yes, they will. They'll dunk you in water. And then they'll say, well, we'll believe that if you have repeated this prayer, you have been born of God. And that is the opium of the masses. The warm embrace of lies that we see being promoted in the many churches. But let us hear what Jesus knows about the matter. Let us hear what Jesus knows about this matter. Verse 8 of John 3. Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Wow, Jesus. Jesus says, Nicodemus, it does not work the way that you think. It is too late for you to go back into your mother's belly, even if it were possible. And it is also impossible for you to do anything about it. That's not how it's done. The new birth that fits you for heaven is not something that you or your, or your mother is able to do. It's not something that you and your church are able to do. It is like the wind. Why the wind? Because it blows where it wishes. You can't control it. Yes, you hear the sound of the wind, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. This matter, Nicodemus, is 100% outside of your control, outside the control of man, outside the control of your church. It cannot and it is not caused by the preacher, but God alone. And he does it when and where he wants, to whom he wants, just like the wind. What you see only is that one has been made alive. They repent and believe the truth of Christ. You can't touch the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. Can't control it. You can see what it does. You see the leaves blowing and the tree branches swaying to and fro. And so is everyone who is born of the Spirit of God. And John is consistent with his teaching. This is what John has said in John 1 verse 11 to 13. If you have your Bible open, let's go to John 1 11 and 11 to 13. John said, he came to his own, that's Jesus, he came to his own. And his own did not receive him, the Jews did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, to them who received him. 
And you know, if you've been in the church, you know that verse 12 of John 1 is very popular. Especially with those that claim they chose Jesus. The Armenians, the free will people. They love John 1 verse 12. But you never hear an Armenian go past John verse 112. John 112 to verse 18. They don't go to verse 18. Because John 1 verse 12 is not a standalone thought. It is not a complete thought. John 1.12 is completed in verse 13. How did they receive him? What happened? And who caused it? Verse 18. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Bingo. <laughs> born not of blood, not by the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, which means this did not happen by anything that you and I do. It is all of God, born again, born from above, born of the Spirit, and that means they had nothing to do with it. If you had anything to do with your new birth because you walked an aisle, because you said a prayer, because you baptized, because you followed the steps, someone lied to you. Someone lied to you. Someone lied to you. Because that which is of the flesh is the flesh. It remains the flesh. And Paul says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Nicodemus answered and said to him, John 3 verse 9, how can these things be? How can these things be? That is the proper response if one has understood the matter. How can these things be? How can salvation be of grace alone? How can God forgive a sinner and grant them eternal life based on something that they did not do? How can these things be? If that is the case, if salvation has to happen by something that I can't do, Nicodemus is thinking, then I am in trouble. That is exactly the understanding that anyone who has understood what Jesus is saying will come to. Nicodemus has surely realized that this matter of being born again is serious business and he is in trouble if it is true. 
And if he should be saved, it shall only be by the grace and mercy of God alone. Nicodemus has come and should come to the end of himself. But we know, we know that that which is impossible with men is possible with God. And that is salvation by grace. That's what is possible by the doing of God in Christ. Now, let us go to the implications of this matter. Let us go to the implications of the need for regeneration. Both Jesus said, you have to be born again. And it is not up to you. So what does it imply in the bigger context of salvation? Implication number one. Men and women are born spiritually dead. And that means they are born with no ability. They are born with no desire. They are born with no true knowledge of God. As to come to the true Christ of God. No ability to believe the truth of Christ as God has given it. The matter of the gospel is not complicated. The gospel is not complicated. It's just a matter of whether one is born again. The gospel is a very simple proposition. You don't need a PhD to understand the gospel. It's a matter of spiritual life. And in this state of spiritual deadness, men and women will live and die if God does not intervene. God has to come and cause a quickening of the spirit to make it alive. Here, John 6.63, this is what the Lord said. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And we hear the same teaching in Ephesians 2 Verse 1 to 5, where Paul says, And you, he made alive. The you is not everyone in the world. The you, in that context, were the Ephesian saints. And this, of course, applies to everyone who is born of God. And you, he made alive. Why do you need to be made alive if you are not dead? Why do you need to be made alive if you are not dead? And you, he made alive. God did. Who were dead in trespasses and sins? That was the condition in which God found you. Dead. If something is dead... It means it is lifeless. It has no ability to do something. If your car is dead, it means it won't start dead. He made us alive. Dead in trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according 
to the course of this world, just like everybody else, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, being energized in foolishness and spiritual deadness by the devil and his minions, just like everybody else. Among whom also, verse 3, we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And by nature, we're just like everybody else. But the elect were not children of wrath. The elect were not children of wrath because of election. Because God put them in Christ before the foundation of the world. The elect were never appointed to wrath, even though they sinned just like everybody else. The elect, it's wonderful news. It's amazing stuff to me, given what I know about myself, about my sins, the sins that I've done, the sins that I still do, and the sins that shall continue to bedevil me. And yet, none of those sins will be imputed to me. I'm a blessed man. Every believer is a blessed man or woman of God. There's no blessing that beats God not imputing your sin to you. There's no blessing like that. There's no blessing like that. And that's why Jesus said, What shall a man give? What shall a man give in exchange for their soul? Shall they win the whole world? The whole world, you can win the whole world. You can be an Elon Musk, the Facebook guy, What's his name? The Russian guy. You can be a Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, combined with all that wealth. And Jesus says, what shall you give? Because whatever you have is not enough. Whatever you have is not enough to exchange for your soul. Your soul needs to be exchanged from something. Jesus is a master accountant. What shall you give in exchange for your soul? What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose their soul? Do you hear the accounting that is in the teaching of Jesus? Profit and loss account. Gain, loss, profit Exchange, what shall you give? And we hear religion telling you a lot of things to give. But Christ says, no. The road to life, the way to life is narrow. It is narrow. Jesus, your God, why are you making the way narrow? Get some big earth-moving equipment and broaden the way for everybody to come in. No. Jesus says the way is narrow. The way that leads to life is narrow. 
and few are they who find it. There are few who find the way of life because of its narrowness and it's narrow because of Jesus. Because he alone is the way to the Father and he alone has the righteousness, the holiness that God accepts for that exchange. Christ alone has the value, Christ has the merit to do that exchange that gives life. And many are on the broad road, the broad way of religion, carrying a lot of things. If you are walking on the broad way, you're carrying a lot of bags of luggage, baggage of religion, false religion, going to present it to God. And Jesus says, the way to life says heaven. The broad way also says heaven. Both of them are promising life. The narrow way and the broad way. The broad way does not say hell to those who are walking on it. No, it does not. It promises life. Until they get to the very end, that's when they realize that no, this was the way of destruction. Jesus said, that is the way of destruction. But God, who is rich in mercy, <laughs> but God, who is rich in mercy, you want a God who is rich in mercy. You don't want a grace and a mercy that is cheap. That runs out. I see people on Facebook saying, oh, you hyper-grace people. As if that's a bad thing. <laughs> you want a God who is rich in mercy because you can never exhaust the riches of his mercy, no matter how much you sin, if you belong to him. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God made us alive because he loved us. And he loves us in spite of our foolishness. We have so much foolishness. I have six kids. I deal with their foolishness every single day. But I love them still. Oh, I love them still. And God loves us still in spite of our many sins, in spite of our struggle with sin. That's exactly the reason why Christ came. Point number two implication of the new birth. The new birth is a spiritual birth by God of only those who are the elect. God does not regenerate all men. Only the elect are quickened, they are made alive. Only they are given faith and repentance. Faith and repentance are evidence of being born again. Apart from the new birth, one cannot have faith and repentance unto Christ. 
So you can't define repentance as, well, stop your sin. No, that's not the idea. The matter of repentance is God coming and saying, this is the way of life. He is showing you the way of life. And naturally, we look to one side, we look to ourselves, we look to our works for salvation, and God in repentance says, turn around and look to my son. That's repentance. That's what the new birth does in all those who are born of God. All those born of God who believe the gospel. There are no two ways about it. Okay? Point number three. It is impossible for one who is physically born to end up back into their mother's womb. And that is why at the hospital, when you have a premature baby, you cannot take them back into their mother's womb for them to grow a little bit more. Once they've been born, they put them in the incubator until they're grown. So it is impossible for one to be unborn when they've been born of God. One does not get born again and then lose it and then born again every year and then they rededicate their life every year and every time they do that, they get born again and born again every... It's foolishness. That is the racket of a gospel. Getting born again and losing your salvation and gaining your salvation and losing your salvation is like being put in a washer and dryer and they're just running a lot of cycles without using any detergent. You're so greasy, no detergent, and you come out unclean with every cycle. And this is what I'm saying. I'm saying salvation cannot be lost. Salvation cannot be lost. Once the Holy Spirit has been given, he indwells. He is the deposit. He is the seal and guarantee of our salvation. The Holy Spirit does not go in and out of believers. Not under the New Testament. That happened in the Old Testament if you go and read the story of King Saul. Under the New Testament, the Holy Spirit, once given, he is there to stay. In spite of your foolishness. That is why Paul said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve him. Why? Because he's not going to get out. He's not going to get out. Implication number four. There's no child who ever caused their own birth. And thus, there's not a single person who ever helped to cause their own spiritual birth. There's not a single person who ever helped to cause their own spiritual birth. You must be born again. And to that we say yes and amen, we must be born again. But it is not the work of man. It is not the work of man helping God. 
This is very important distinction. You and I don't cooperate with God in anything with respect to salvation. I don't believe that we, even in sanctification, that sanctification is a work of God and man, it's impossible. That is being unequally yoked. Sanctification, just as righteousness, has to be. It has to be by Christ alone. It has to be by Christ alone. It has to be complete in Christ alone. If you and I are to have any hope before God, all that which God requires has to be 100% already in Christ. It has to be in him. It has to be complete in him. All matters of salvation are monogistic. God alone. Christ alone. To the glory of God alone. Okay? The new birth precedes faith and repentance. One does not believe for them to be born again. It's a very important point. The new birth has to precede. It comes before faith and repentance because it is the cause of the faith and repentance. So what of, one of the things that happen or the result or the fruit of being born again because people talk about the fruit and when they talk about fruit they usually are talking about behavior modification, fruit inspection. But the real matter of the new birth is for all the redeemed to come to the knowledge of the Son of God. To come to the truth of the knowledge of the Son of God as God has given testimony about him. Faith and repentance cause us to agree with God about his own son. That is confession. That is true confession that comes because of the new birth. And all that to say, this is God's free and sovereign grace gospel. This is the gospel that we teach. That the new birth is caused by God. And once one is born of God, guess what? They can't lose their salvation. God keeps them all the way to the end. Now, before we finish, let's ask a question and answer it. So was Nicodemus saved? That would be something interesting. Was Nicodemus saved? Yes, he was. Somewhere between John chapter 3 and John 7, something happened. Something happened to Nicodemus. God caused Nicodemus to be born again. Let's go to the text. Let's go to the text. John 7, 45 to 52. John 7, 45 to 52. Hear this. Then the officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? So the chief priests and the Pharisees 
he had sent out some officers to go get Jesus, to arrest Jesus. And so they came back and they were asked, why have you not brought him? Why did you not apprehend him? The officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. <laughs> no man ever spoke like him. Then the Pharisees answered them, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? We have verse 48. Have any of the rulers, Nicodemus is among that group. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? Do you know of any of our guys who has believed in him? Verse 49, but this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. So they say these people who are believing on Jesus because they don't understand the law, they are accursed. Verse 50, Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, being one of the rulers, said to them, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? Does our law do that? Before you hear what the man is doing or saying? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Of course, they were lying. Both Jonah was from there. This is what Nicodemus did. He defended the cause of Christ against the suspicion of his own comrades. Nicodemus wants a fair trial for Jesus. Nicodemus is a believer. Nicodemus is sharing in the offense that Jesus brings. And at this point, he does not care. Nicodemus identifies with Jesus. Here, John 19, as we finish. John 19, 38 and 39. Nicodemus, together with Joseph of Arimathea, if you still remember, after Jesus had died, Joseph went to Pilate. And he asked for the body of Jesus to bury it, to embalm the body of Jesus. Verse 38 of John 19. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Nicodemus, who came by night, he also shows up for the burial of Jesus. And that to say what? These are spiritual matters, my brothers and sisters. These are just not stories. Don't read them as stories. 
Nicodemus has been joined to the death of Christ. And the one who is joined to the death of Christ and burial of Christ is one with Christ. They belong to Christ. Nicodemus is not ashamed to be associated with the death and burial of Christ. Nicodemus was elect just as Joseph of Arimathea was elect. We have been told that Joseph was a disciple of Jesus. Nicodemus belonged to Christ. So he is brother Nicodemus. <laughs> Beloved brother and sister, this is a wonderful gospel. This is the most wonderful gospel there is because there's only one gospel. There's only one Christ. There's only one righteousness. There's only one holiness. There's only one spirit. People think they are saved by the denomination of their church and they put so much emphasis to it. There's no salvation in your denomination. Salvation is only in the Christ of Nicodemus who said you must be born again. And I pray that the Lord has caused you to be born again. And the testimony that you know that you have been born again is not going to come from, oh, I stopped doing this. Oh, I used to do this, but I don't sin as much as I used to. There's no hope in that. The true testimony of one who is born again is they sanctify Christ as alone their righteousness before God. It is that simple. It is that simple. And that's the gospel message that the Lord has given me. Praise the Lord. We are done. And of course, when we are done, we have to thank the Lord. We have to pray and thank him for the time that he gave us together to share this message and for you guys to have time to tune in because you could be doing a whole lot of other things. Okay? So let us go before him and ask for his blessing again. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you this afternoon. We honor you for this message from John chapter 3, the message of our new birth, our being born of God, being born from above, that we may see Christ, that we may receive Christ, that we may be called the children of God. And all this by grace and grace alone, and all this because of the Christ who died, the Christ who was resurrected and is seated on the right hand of power, ever interceding for his people. Be with your people this day. Bless them, strengthen them. Continue to excite their hearts with the teaching of Christ. And I pray that you bless all the brothers who are going to be preaching tomorrow and bless all those who shall be in their hearing. May you bring us here again tomorrow in the morning to worship and hear of what Christ has done for us. We pray in his precious name. Amen. Amen.